Lent gets to be a rough time of year for a lot of people. I know. Is it working now? Yeah. All right. Lent gets to be a rough time of year for a lot of people. I know, the, I know that, though it is probably my favorite liturgical season, it can get really depressing. When we allow ourselves to walk through the season and not hurry ourselves into Easter Sunday, we can really feel those icky feelings of sadness and guilt and unworthiness. Reading the Gospels is kind of like reading any other historical book or watching a movie based on real events. We know what's going to happen. We see the decisions made by certain people, and we know there's just nothing we can do to stop it. This story in John's timeline comes when things really start to get real. One might say the dinner in Bethany with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was the last night of normalcy that Jesus knew. As normal as it gets anyway for itinerant minister and one that just also happens to be the Messiah. He had been on his way to Jerusalem and had stopped in Bethany because his dear friend Lazarus had been very sick and had died. Several people had come to comfort Mary and Martha, and when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, many of them at that very moment began to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But others were terrified and ran the two miles into the city of Jerusalem to tell the Pharisees what had happened. And the plot to kill Jesus became very obvious. And so Jesus moved quietly into the wilderness to pray. When he felt the time was right, and as the Passover festivities approached, Jesus made his way back towards Jerusalem, but stopped for the night in Bethany. And although this was not the last supper that we remember each month, it was the last supper that Jesus had before the beginning of the end of his time on earth. This passage has a tendency to make us feel uncomfortable because through human logic and reaction and through a lot of what we think we know and believe about the teachings of Jesus Christ, we often think that, that uh, Judas has the right idea here. And if it weren't for John's editorial, it might take us longer to get ourselves turned around. Mary and Judas give us two sides of a story. Much like last week's passage on the prodigal son, we are given examples of which path has to be taken in following these characters. Mary is a witness and a disciple not by what she says, by what she does. She understands Jesus. She seems to be picking up the entire message that Jesus has been trying to get his disciples to hear. She does something that is very vulnerable and shows her dedication as a servant to Jesus Christ. She takes something precious and expensive, her perfume, and washes Jesus' feet, and she anoints him with this perfume. There are layers here, as there are with most biblical passages. In the first century, foot washing was a nasty business. Most people were barefoot, or had a very thin sandal. It was dusty, 
animals trod along the same paths as the people did. And though the Romans had instituted some of their modern technology of aqueducts and sewer systems, the environment was certainly not tip-top. Foot washing was something that a servant did, not the lady of the house. So right off the bat, Mary is showing her dedication to Jesus by willingly washing his feet. She wiped his feet with her hair, not a cloth, but a piece of herself. It is an extravagant act of devotion. The idea is going to come back in a few days when we remember the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday. So remember that. The other layer is that the anointing of Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume shows that Mary understands what's going to happen in a week's time. She's been listening at his feet when he's been teaching. She believed in him fully when her brother died. She understood what was coming. Through her devotion to Jesus, she was able to comprehend what Peter and the rest of them could not. That the death of Jesus was coming. Because she understood the importance before her, she spared nothing to show her devotion. She did not hold back her best oil. She did not hold back her status. She did not hold back her beauty. She gave it all humbly to Christ. And then we have Judas. For those that might not know the end of the story, here comes a spoiler alert. It's hard to read anything about Judas with not, without getting upset. We know what happens. We know what he's been up to. And when he opens his big trap, it's hard not to want to reach through the pages of history and pluck out his toenails one at a time. But we're good Christians, so we don't do that. <laughs> Judas becomes enraged at Mary's wasting of this perfume. It could have been sold for 300 denarii, and the money could have fed so many people. I attempted to research this a little bit and came up with a few examples of how much 300 denarii would be today. There was quite a rabbit hole, so I didn't go down too far. Suffice to say that 300 denarii is a substantial amount of scratch. The problem with Judas's outburst is that he really didn't want to feed the poor. No, as the keeper of the purse, he wanted the 300 denarii lying around so he could skim his 10%. Of course, he couldn't say that. He couldn't say, but Jesus, what about the long con I've been pulling on all of you? So he covered up by being concerned for the poor. Jesus did not need John's editorial comment to be able to see right through Judas. Jesus' response to Judas has, for centuries, given some churches and faith traditions an, ex an excuse not to give to the poor, like they should. Some read it as, no matter what we do, they're still going to be poor, so why waste our time? But Jesus was referring to a passage in Deuteronomy whose message is unmistakable. The poor will never cease out of the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to the needy and the poor of the land. Jesus was telling Judas that Jesus 
knew, excuse me, Jesus was telling Judas that there are resources already to reach out to the poor, but the beginning of the passion was about to begin. Mary freely gives herself and her possessions to the dedication of Jesus Christ. Judas wants for himself equally, if not more, than what he wants to do for the poor. He wants to hand over a large sum of money with a big sign that says, hey, we did this. See, this is from us. Look, Jesus and the rest, especially me, we did this. When we give a gift but expect continued praise for it, is it really a gift at all? It is not only congregations that often struggle with this concept. Although there is plenty that happens in the church with such gifts and recognition, it happens in our everyday lives. Oftentimes when we have given something of ourselves, monetary or otherwise, we want people to understand what a sacrifice it was. I admit here that one of my favorite shows is Grey's Anatomy. There was an episode several seasons back where two sisters were admitted to Seattle Grace Mercy West Hospital. One sister was in desperate need of a new kidney, and her older sister was a perfect match. And the older sister kept going on and on about how she had to give up her vacation for the surgery, how she'll never be able to wear a two-piece to the beach ever again, how she'd given so much already to her sister and now here she is again, coming to the rescue with a kidney. The whole world needed to know how this sacrifice was going to affect her as she gave to her sister. As the episode went on, the pressure became so great that the younger sister said she didn't want it, that she'd rather remain sick or even die than have this continue. A gift with strings is not a gift. A true gift is given not out of obligation. It is not given with a hope of return or hope of recognition. It is not given in order to get someone in your pocket. Hey, maybe someday I come to you and you remember how generous I was. Mary's behavior in this passage is much more in line with how we should give of ourselves to others. But even Mary's actions are nothing compared to the gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ. It is nothing compared to the sacrifice that Jesus will do in just a week's time from this passage. Jesus was given to a world that didn't ask for him. But his life and his ministry is entirely for the world's benefit. Even a gift given with no strings is not something that can be ignored. Even with no strings attached, we are often compelled to continue our thanks and our gratitude. Jesus gave himself freely to us, and the only way we can possibly thank him for that is to love God with our full heart. And that means we must serve one another. We must listen to the call of our, on our hearts, and often that call means to give fully without adding up the cost or the reward in our heads before we do it. To be in loving service to God is an act of faith that we are continuing Jesus' mission on earth. Either we love generously 
or we do not. Either we provide for the poor or hoard up the resources in secret. We need to choose whether we give of ourselves like Mary or look out for ourselves like Judas. The answer seems pretty simple, but putting it into practice is sometimes something that eludes some of us. So here we are. The point of the past weeks, what we've been building towards, is almost upon us. We know what is coming, and there is nothing we can do to stop it. The captain has ordered more speed through the ice field, and we're just going to have to sit here and watch that ship hit the iceberg over and over again. We're going to have to read that Jesus spends his last evening with his friends in Bethany in the closest place he has had for a home in three years, knowing that when he leaves in the morning, everything will be forever changed. But because we know the end, we can keep our eyes open and we can keep reading. Because we know the gift we have received through Jesus Christ is for all of us, no strings attached. Amen.